welcome to the BPM cast. It is Thursday, February 23rd, 2012. My name is Will Ryan. I'm here with a couple of usuals. Uh, Rob Akimian's here. What's up? Eric Berg's here. Back again. And uh, a couple guests. Rising BPM star Colin Joyce <laughs> is joining hey. us. And back again by popular demand. Uh, we, we listened for you's uh, Zach Hart is on here. There was absolutely no demand for that. You know it. <laughs> we tried to get Hank, but he's all booked up. Yeah. A lot of people think I made up Hank, which I kind of like. <laughs> he's your alter ego? No, he's actually just a, a, a teacher at Scranton, Pennsylvania. So, Colin, I want to talk to you for a minute. What, are you in New York right now? Yeah, I'm in New York. Are you going to school there? What, what's your story? Yep, I'm at Fordham University, same school as Evan. <laughs> Oh, really? You go to school yeah. in heaven? Yep. What are you studying? Uh, you know, not entirely sure yet. <laughs> oh, undecided? Yeah, pretty much. How are your grades? Let's get down to it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm doing pretty well. I just, I mean, I got mostly A's my first semester, so. <laughs> well, as long as you keep uh, reviewing stuff for us. Um, and, you know, keep your grades keep your grades up as well. I think, you know, you're on... You're on your way, man. You'll <laughs> be. Um. So not much going on this week in music. Um, a lot of announcements, a lot of tour and album announcements. Does any Does anybody have anything that, that they want to highlight out of out of this clusterfuck uh, of of things? What's been announced? I've completely forgotten. Um, uh, we had the announcement today of the Mount Erie albums. Yeah. So. Oh yeah, that's a big one. Yeah, because um, it's not—it's unlike him to take two years off between albums, and now he's bringing out two to make up for it. But I'm interested to see if he's like completely overhauled his sound like he did last time. I—I I would think so because I, when I saw him in September, he was touring with—it was just him on guitar and then two synth players, so it was mostly like synth-driven stuff instead that's, of his usual folkiness. <laughs> that's uh, going to really... be interesting. I haven't really, like, stayed with him since he, you know, stopped being the microphones or whatever. I really love those those microphones albums, though. He's done some really good stuff as Mount Eerie. I actually like some of the Mount Eerie stuff more than microphones. Yeah. It's just, like, one of those things, you know, like, once he changed his names, that type of music I was less interested in, I guess. Um, I think that, that that bro Steven that I talked about last time that's on my list that that to me sounds like a mountaineery record. Uh, if you guys go and listen to that, yeah, I agree. It's the same way it's recorded, I guess you would say. They, they're they're not vocally similar, but it's got that same kind of like really uh, minimalistic attitude. Both uh, both very both very intimate, like you were saying yeah. last time too. Yeah, we should definitely talk about uh, last night. Christopher Reamer died. Yeah, I was gonna oh yeah. That from women, um, which uh, I didn't really like their first record, but Public Strain, I think, came out in 2010. That was yeah, a really fantastic. Really te- and that's not in my wheelhouse of things I usually like that sound, but that was a really great record. And so that's, that's sad. I mean, any, any women fans in the group? Yeah, I like women a lot. I like Public Strain a lot. But yeah, as he was 26. Um, and the, the reason why, like, um, cause of death is unknown at this point, I think. Um, mm-hmm. Died in his sleep. And uh, he he also toured with the Dodos, didn't he? I, I don't know. Well, anyway, yeah, tra- tragic. Um, 
That's it for news, though. <laughs> Is that it? Yeah, like... I heard David Bowie's doing a reunion tour. <laughs> We're still getting hate <laughs> comments on that post every day. <laughs> So many hate comments. BPM inside <laughs> joke. What is that? Like I, that was before my time. That was that last was... year's April Fool's joke. Wow. I've got a good one this year that's going to piss people off. <laughs> awesome. All right. How about we just talk about talk about what we've been listening to? Because uh, wait, there's got to be more news than that. There's not, though. Like it's all just like, hey, did you guys know that one time Grimes went on a boat? That and one time three years uh, ago. Very far. Talking about this is not a good idea. I think there was a lot of big news this week, personally. Then what what would you want to mention? Okay, like uh my favorite one of my favorite music festivals, Forecastle. Jim James is uh curating that whole thing. And it's they're bold enough to go up against Pitchfork Music Festival. It's gonna be the same weekend. Oh wow. So, oh really? So yeah, in oh, Forecastle they they're like sister partners like little sisters of uh bonnaroo now the same production company um so they're gonna have a huge festival and jim james is curating it which means it's gonna be not like every other festival um but it's at the same time as pitchfork so a lot of people and it's a three-day festival just like pitchfork so some people are trying to figure out how they can do both it's a, a really interesting conversation between like louisville friends of mine but i think uh forecastle it's in Louisville, Forecastle is. Yeah, it's been going on. This is the 10th anniversary, so they're really blowing it out. Um, but they've always been big. Like, they had Smashing Pumpkins, I think, two years ago, and, like, Widespread Panic. Like, they really, they do the jam band, they do the indie, and then they do, like, the, the rock bands that everybody would like to see. But I think it's going to be really unique this year with Jim James curating the whole thing. I much prefer Yim Yams. Yim Yams? <laughs> yeah. But that that to me, I thought was pretty big news. But I guess nobody really cares. No, that's cool. I I, I knew nothing about it, but that that is interesting. I I, I like the I like the idea of new festivals or. Well, I mean, it's not new. It's, 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 it's well, finding out about new yeah. festivals. I'm sorry, ten years, sorry. but I, I thought it was really ballsy to do it the same week as a festival that a lot of, you know, and it's within a five hour drive, Chicago and, and Louisville. So it's just it's really bizarre. But what I think is going to happen is a lot of the more indie, like all the readers of Pitchfork, they'll have no problem selling tickets. Um, but it, it kind of makes me scared that we won't get like the Deer Hunters or like the, the, the Media Max, you know, that are big this year because they'll go to Pitchfork. Or they might play both. Is it, like I don't know if you guys have done festival work. Is that a possibility to play both festivals? I know last year the Flaming Lips and Deer Hunter played in Barcelona and in Washington in the same weekend, so it's possible. Yep. And I guess uh, th- speaking of Pitchfork, also the big news is that they're doing like their own video show every week. Did you guys see that? Yeah, oh, the... Pitchfork Weekly. Yeah, I think it's yeah. cool. They're and they're doing about... the reader bag. Oh yeah, that's awesome. Eric, what are that your thoughts? What are your thoughts on the on these developments? Yeah, uh, I'm skeptical at best of this reader mailbag. I, I think- I'm. In- I, I, I won't poo-poo it until I see how they do it the first time, but I I think it's going to be a bunch of masturbation, basically. It's it's weird to be uh, critical of, of another outlet, but it's Pitchfork, and also it's weird that it's, it is it is news, really, because everything Pitchfork does is under such scrutiny, but it's it, like I feel like the mailbag could be cool for their writers to get more time, or FaceTime, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, because they, you know, I've said a couple times in the podcast that I feel like paste, uh, 
Pitchfork is a little bit faceless, so it'd be cool if their writers were given, you know, a chance, an outlet to kind of air their opinions and less, less, less attached to Pitchfork as a whole and more just representing themselves. Well, I guess we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I, th- I think that's exactly right. Like, uh, my one of my biggest complaints with theirs is that if you ever complain about them, they just shut you off. So, like, if you complain about Pitchfork, they'll quit following you. If the, if they had, I've had pretty much every one of their writers follow me on Twitter, then unfollow me immediately after. <laughs> uh, because, well, I, I shouldn't say all of them, but I've had several of them unfollow me and then block me um, because I complain about it. But I mean, we we're all writers, and we've all made mistakes. So it's it's bizarre not to accept criticism when you're critiquing other people. Yeah. It just—it was always a big problem I had with Pitchfork. So hopefully this will be an outlet for people to say, here's my problem with it, and they post it, and then you can be part of the conversation. Because they've never had a comment section, so it's like... Yeah, but it's kind of it, it's kind of like... It, it, well, ESPN does this in a way, not not in a mailbag, but they do like a, a check, basically. Like the, their ombudsman... I always screw up how to pronounce that word. But, like, they have somebody who basically just talks about their policies and talks about mistakes they've made and, you know, being a little more self-reflective than Pitchfork usually is. So if they approach it from that aspect, I'm, I'm all for it. But if it's just like, hey, well, what's your favorite album that you guys didn't review or, like, something stupid like that, well, and it's just going to be dumb. I guess the worry is it turns into the equivalent of, like, 60 seconds or less or whatever that is. Oh, my that's, God, that's, that's so bad. Did you see the new one today with Annie Clark? She's just changing guitar strings for sixty seconds. <laughs> does she does she finish the guitar in sixty seconds? No, that's really needless. Can we yeah. can we talk can we talk about Pitchfork TV for a second? Sure. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, I, I don't want to overstep here, but I'm going to. Uh, we all hate sixty seconds or less, right? Or sixty seconds? I yeah. would say it's very uh, confusing to why it exists. I'll, I'll go that right. far. Yeah, I don't I, get it. And I have the same problem with over under. Um, where they get these big acts and then they ask them completely pointless, uh, yeah, yeah. immature questions. But did you guys watch the uh, Flaming Lips uh, documentary they did? <laughs> nope. It is probably <laughs> one of my favorite things of this year. It, it, it's Pitchfork TV, like producing a documentary. Yeah, about- Pitchfork. Okay, so Pitchfork TV that they they are Pitchfork TV does their own content and they also put other people's content under their, their label. Like, uh, uh, what is it? One Le- week uh, only. Yeah, yeah, or or yours truly, yours like truly, that all, yeah, yeah, yeah all oh, that stuff. But okay. they're they're. I've always complained that their self, like their original content's been horrible, like sixty seconds, um, over under. It's always been or that fucking horrible comedy show they did for a while. Do you guys oh remember God, that? Yeah. The one with the bearded dude. Yeah, Sunset Television, I think it was called, and like they just did immature, stupid shit. And then I watched uh, their documentary on Flaming Lips, and that's what they need to be doing um, because they have the access to. Um, of these bands that we don't have to do a project like that, and they knocked it out of the park. Like it, it not only like here's here's how much I like it is it changes your perspective of that record. Which record is it? It's the um, shit. I'm blanking. No, not Embryonic. Fuck. It's, it's the Soft fa- Bolton, right? Soft Bolton. Yeah, thank you. Good Jesus. Um, Soft Bolton, which is by far my favorite Flame Lips record. Um, and Great there's record. there's stories that that completely. Um, change the way you view the record because they go in, they kind of describe how they got to it. Um, a lot of good found footage. Uh, and it's it's probably one of my favorite things other than that Lamb Chop record that we'll talk about later in 2012. And it pisses me off that they have this talent to make content that can not only inform but change the way that you you look at music. And this is a classic record. 
Um, that's powerful, and and that's original content at its best. But then they do shit like sixty seconds and over under. So I, I'm, I'm torn with my my love hate for Pitchfork TV. But you, I, I highly recommend anybody who's a Flame Lips fan or a Soft Bulletin fan to go watch that documentary if it's still up. They do. They really do have like the resources and the the standing to to put out essentially like it conceptually at least like occupy a space that like MTV like theoretically could have been like if they approach their video content from the same standing as like their feature content like some of their feature content like why we fight or uh, you know those really like in depth thoughtful pieces um, if they approach their video content from that point of view. I think it could be like super interesting, like more like of these documentary sort of in-depth pieces, like you're saying, Zach. I think that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's just it's 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 crazy to me that they get these people uh, in there that they that I don't necessarily like, but they they go crazy for and give best new music, and then they ask them like, "What do you think about Lady Gaga?" You know, an over under yeah. or or or, or like, uh, is McDonald's overrated? Like, it, it's just baffling to me that they do that. Um, and it's not funny, and it's not fun. It's just annoying. Yeah. But but then they pitch. It, this thing's called Pitchfork Classics, I believe, and it's supposed to be a series. And I hope to God it is because they did a they did a hell of a job on it. Yeah, it's like Pitchfork doesn't really have like a identifiable voice. Like you you can you can understand from their writing sort of how do they approach music in a critical sense, but as far as their feature or video content, they don't really have a unifying, you know, way of approaching things. And I think if they figure that out, because I feel like media is going in this direction where everything is going to unify into, like, websites producing video content, uh, writing, sort of, all the all these different, using all these different types of media to, like, in terms of Pitchfork, celebrating a medium, music. And mm-hmm. I feel like if they, they have they have a capability to do that now, essentially, because they're so huge... Yeah, like, like look at you know their production on stuff, their visual style for even just the uh, that the end of the year pieces that they did, like mm-hmm. the way they turned their header into like an interactive menu. That was really cool, I thought. And um, you know, it's like if they could unify these sort of media projects into something more interesting and something more immediate and accessible, and like do more. I haven't seen the the uh, Flaming Lips uh, documentary yet, but. Mm-hmm. More stuff like that it could be. I know how I know how they get to where you want to go. What what you're suggesting? How's that? They fire. Okay, what they do is they hire really talented people. I think everybody who works there is talented, be it um, in their in their writing or their skill of producing videos on the Pitchfork TV side. But they have a staff that's compri- uh, composed of about forty percent really really immature people. Um, and and you, you just go to Twitter and follow them for a bit. And you get the perfect image. And I, I'll once again isolate Larry Fitzmaurice. Uh, go to his Twitter right now, and it's a his Twitter icon is a rapper uh, uh, planking. You remember the trend of planking? What is that? that? Stupid. That stupid. There was a stupid like viral thing where you plank on things, where you lie flat on anything, and it's a rapper planking on a Bentley. And everything has to be uh, soaked in irony. Nothing can be taken seriously. And I, I'm isolating him, but there's other people. That's and that's and that's the same idea of the over under series and that Sunset TV is Pitchfork could be taken very seriously, but they just they re, they want to stay young. I think is the problem, and they want to like you know embrace certain memes 
Um, you mean you mean you mean Grimes? No, I'm not. I'm not going to say Grimes, but Odd Future, I think, would definitely be an instance of, of like them staying youthful. Which I mean, they're a business, and they're they're smarter than me when it comes to staying young. Because um, we talk about old folk music, but there, it's clear that you you take Pitchfork TV's previous work, like Over Under, in sixty seconds, which is supposed to be artful, but it's complete bullshit. Um, and you compare it to this documentary you did, you basically see full potential versus immaturity. And, and that's the problem is I, I really wish they could go more to the other side because I, I think the youth of our country can, can learn and get to that side rather than go, okay, yeah, I'll just go because they say odd future. I'll, I'll lean more to the immaturity. I think they're right in the middle. And if a source like Pitchfork pushed them to the side that goes like, here's art, here's what you should be, you know, kind of getting into and, and challenge them, you know, I think they'll follow suit. And I, you know, it's like weird because I, I feel like you can balance lowbrow and highbrow in a way that is cohesive and like, look at Giant Bomb. I don't know if any of you guys, I know Eric <laughs> is familiar with GiantBomb.com, the cover of video games, but they, they're really, they do, you know, tons of video content. They do a podcast every week and they, and they're legitimately really talented dudes, not just great writers, not just, um, you know, sort of, you know, just, like, good personalities. They really have talent and a vision for, like, what they want their site to be, but they're also funny and hilarious, and they bring this really... I, it's You can never call it immature, but this very, you know, balancing of highbrow, lowbrow, that is a part of each of their personalities. Play, playfully aware. Yeah, exactly. Playfully aware, and, and they really build their whole website around their kind of how... how they individually approach games, video games, and how they approach it with their personality. So, and I think what you're saying, Zach, is with Pitchfork, it's like they have some people that sort of cling to this, you know, youthful, irony-soaked, which I hate. I hate that attitude. Irony can't take anything seriously. Um, I hate that. I think Larry, Larry's definitely like that. I like the way Larry writes. I like Larry as a writer. But, yeah, he's... Pretty un- he's pretty unbearable as a human being. But if you have other people... Well, I- I'd like to clarify that back to you, Eric, because I don't know him as a human, and like <laughs> all my friends say that he's like a really great guy in real life. Um, but what he does on his Twitter and on his uh, on Pitchfork, his reviews, it just, everything has to be uh, like, throw taste out the window and go the opposite way. So like, yeah. if... I don't- like, he-, he ironically watches Degrassi, according to... Uh, Certain friends of mine, I'm not going to outsource them, but, uh, and like, it's just all these things where it's like 90s nostalgia and like picking up on viral or memes like two weeks after they're done or liking really, really bad hip hop just because it's absurd. Like, if you like it, you like it, but also you have to recognize Pitchfork has a responsibility, at least in my opinion, since I've been reading since 99. Um, you know, they shaped my musical path kind of early on. And I'm never going to stop reading it as much as I get mad at them. And they do have some of the best writers in the game right now. Um, it just I just wish their editors would be like, all right. It's like dealing with kids in the playground. Like, all right, we, you guys are having fun on Twitter or whatever. Now when you come to our site, exactly. you take things seriously. And and look at Over Under. I mean, if, you, if you're saying what I'm saying is bullshit, go watch Over Under. See what they accomplish, which is basically nothing. And then go watch that Pitchfork documentary, and it's the same guy, RJ, whatever, Berger, or whatever, who produced it, who's the head of Pitchfork TV. And they, this documentary is not just one of the best original web content I've ever seen. It's one of the best music documentaries I've ever seen. For the, for the record, I don't know Larry as a person, but anybody who takes that much time to tweet that often 
right. that Soaked in Irony has something wrong with them. Well, but I, I like, but I, I read every review he does. So I mean, I'm really, I feel really starved for sincerity in our in our media coverage. Like, I really wish people were more invested in in what they're covering and what they're seeing and what they're commenting on instead of just you know playing it off as entertainment or as uh, you know not, not letting yourself be affected by it or. Um, you know, playing it off like it doesn't matter. Like, it really bothers me. It really, I think, over time has a subtle effect of degrading things to, you know, posting yeah. posting a news story about Grimes on a boat in 2007. Like, right. Or 2009. Like, I just, it's so frustrating. It can get so frustrating. And I feel like you're saying, Zach, Pitchfork has this responsibility. And I feel like that because they are the biggest. They are the example. Like we, we said on last time you were on, I think that they do have this responsibility and it's disingenuous of them to just ignore that. And, you know, I feel like you're saying, come to the site, act like a grown-up. Like, that's the bottom line, right. I think. Right. I mean, and, you know, and William Bowers, I guess, is doing writing for them. And he's always been one of my favorite writers. And William Bowers, he used irony. And he still uses irony. But not everything about William Bowers was ironic. Well, you can totally use irony to celebrate right. things. Like, right. it's just when you use this hateful sort of... Um, this irony that is dismissive and very much like just a, a wall that you throw up in front of your own voice. It's just really, it's insincere, I guess, less than it is irony. I just don't know. Yeah, I can't trust you. I can't trust your taste. Right. If, if, you, if you honestly say, and, and a lot of what these writers say, like if they, let's go back to the Degrassi thing or, you know, or Saved by the Bell. Like we all have nostalgic moments about Saved by the Bell, but if you go, Saved by the Bell was the greatest TV show of all time or Little B is the greatest rapper of all time, and you just keep using that as your, as your identifier as a person, be it on the internet or not, at a certain point when you're writing about a record I love and you pan it, I have to go, yeah, but you really like that Little B record and you're not really being ironic because that is your identifier. You yeah. understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I know. So exactly. I think it devalues you, and we all have to be careful on Twitter, and, and I'm definitely not careful on Twitter, um, that people, when you write passionately and you write with uh, kind of from the first person, what you say on Twitter does add up to how people view you when they read your reviews, you know? Yeah. That's I, why I, hate- so. I, would, I would hope so, though. Right. No, yeah. I'm saying do, but if, if, if your whole thing is ironic – and yeah. you, you're you're trying to passionately tell you tell why you like or dislike something. It comes off as just why do I care? Because I know what you like, and what you like is bullshit. Yeah, you know. I'm yeah. sorry. I didn't. I didn't mean to do this tangent. No, it's good, man. It's yeah, people it's, come to the show for the the point is because I, I I actually want to give them a compliment because one of my resolutions is not to give them so much shit because there are much worse sites than theirs at a big at the same level. Stereo gum. Um, yeah. Is the worst <laughs> um, but the the point of this conversation is uh, go watch the Flaming Lips Classics documentary. Um, whether you like Pitchfork TV or not, it's fantastic. Yeah, and yeah. and I feel like I yeah I have to kind of uh, curb what I like. I don't feel like Pitchfork is this irony soaked entity. <laughs> like they have some amazing amazing writers on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we okay, we we are all just. So jealous that they have the resources. Yeah, and I and wish I could. We don't, and we wish they used them for better things. That's yeah, all. Exactly. That's all. No, I don't. I wouldn't. So I, I agree oh, with. Stop it. I don't think that's the reason why I dislike what they do. Is out of jealousy. Well, I don't think that's. I don't okay, think that's a fair, I, I I think that's a fair assessment. 
Well, no, I think what Eric means is just like you. You have this. You wish that um, if you had that those kind. You wish you had those type of resources. It's not jealousy. It's not like I wish I was Pitchfork. It's just yeah. It's like I, I, wish... I know. I know the word jealous is a little harsh. I'm sorry, but it's no, like... I'm I think we all want the readership, and we all want the influence, and we all want the resources they have. Right. But I don't think that when you're complaining or criticizing what they're doing, it's out of the fact that you don't have those things. Right. No. 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 Like if Pitchfork was doing amazing things with those, it's like. My thing is on Twitter, it's what you say negatively gets blown out more than what you say positively. Um, Because I say things about Pitchfork like I I was so happy that they gave Lamb Chop best new music last night. All that stuff goes ignored whenever I say anything good about them. But when I go, oh shit, Larry Fitzmaurice or Mark Richardson wrote this or Ian Cohen's an idiot, then that shit becomes, oh, why are you hating on Pitchfork again? It, It is crazy. Yeah. They do good work and they have good writers and let's just move on, I guess. Yeah. Or whatever. This guy has not talked. Uh, uh, what's it, Colin? Yeah, I'm here. I'm so sorry, man. What, do you have any it's thoughts cool. on this? Or? Um, I don't know. I, I, I think that there's a lot of truth in that, like, seeing that we could do better with those resources or whatever. But I do think they do, uh, especially their, their live content on Pitchfork TV, I think that's all really awesome, and they do a great job with that. Yeah, you mean when they feature bands, like, playing music? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's great. Oh. I thought you meant like that Sleigh Bells review that went up. Oh no, that was I. I don't <laughs> want to even talk, talk about that. Be, especially being fr- being from Florida, I don't know. Hearing him like shit talk all the venues that I've been to is just weird. I don't know. I sort of liked that that article. Like at the beginning, it was a little bit like, "Where is this guy going?" It was like very long winded. But when he actually started re- reviewing the the show, I was kind of interested in it. But, that, uh, that's that's the guy I was talking about, William Bowers. He's yeah. like one of my favorite writers. He's I didn't a like great it. writer. Like, yeah, I didn't like. I didn't, yeah, I didn't think that piece needed to exist at all. Right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm not saying right. it wasn't well written. It was just yeah. five thousand words too long. I mean, he opened yeah. with a uh, Apocalypse Now reference. Like, <laughs> like, yeah. Well, anyway. Um. But yeah, like I was gonna say about their live video content. Like, I remember they featured girls in like a a church or something, and it was like better than the album almost. Like. It was great. It was really great stuff, and I, I wish they had more of that stuff. Like every every day, keep that coming. I guess they've started doing more of it with this thing that they're doing called Plus One, where they're like interviewing the bands and having them showing their like live performances too. It's pretty cool. I, yeah, did they do one of those with Cloud Nothings? Uh, yeah, Cloud Nothings, and I think Real like, Estate, Real Black Estate, Dice. Black Dice. Yeah, yeah, cool. they did it for the Real Estate and Black Dice buffet show. I was at that show. <laughs> Were you really? Yeah, I actually oh. show up, I show up in one of those videos. <laughs> oh, I'm jealous, man! That would have been an awesome build. I remember to see. tweeting you. I remember you tweeting that that screen cap. That was pretty funny. <laughs> what was the highlight of the buffet? Uh, the buffet was like closed before everybody got there. The, well, the what? doors were doors were slated to open at at like eight, but the buffet didn't close until ten, so they didn't let people in until then. So I guess it really wasn't a show at a buffet then. It was like a show at a. It was a show. Space. It was a show at an empty space while they were cleaning up a buffet. <laughs> did you nice. Did you get to meet Todd Patrick? No, but I, I mean, I've seen him around at a bunch of different places. I, I mean, like he, I, I don't know what I think of him honestly, but he puts on a lot of good shows. So <laughs> that's good. Yeah, he's just rather divisive. I was interested to hear. Yeah, let's talk about what we've been listening to. Uh, Rob, what have you been listening to? I have been listening to Visions by Grimes.
which is her third proper album, I think. Is that right? I think it might be her fourth, or maybe that's just the She release. She had a split, Dark Bloom, oh, okay. which is like album length. But yeah, I don't think that counts as an album. But yeah, Visions, first one to get like really wide release. I don't think the others really got that wide release, did they? Guiding Primes, or whatever the album's called, I remember it kind of having a little bit of buzz last year. Yeah, but this one's come out on 4AD everywhere except Canada, so that makes it substantially bigger. Wait, oh, wh- who put it out in Canada? Uh, Arbutus Records. Hometown label, probably, for her. Probably, yeah. yeah I don't know any of their other artists, or I don't think so. Um, anyway, uh, I love this. This is like a futuristic pop record. Uh, it's a little bit... I don't know, I can only listen to it at night i find it like to be a really nocturnal like late night winding down like a late maybe drug infused party and yeah that's how i feel it how, how it appeals to me i don't know does it does it, does anybody else really like the album i i liked it i just feel like it goes on for too long i don't I don't know. It's not that it, long, is it? How long is it's, it? It's like 48 minutes, which isn't that long. I ju- it just, I don't know, the second half of it doesn't hold up to the first half. And I feel like if she had trimmed down some of that stuff, it might have been better. <laughs> yeah, mm. I, th- I think it's a fine album. I like it. I, I do like it. But I, I think I have a problem with uh, everyone sort of propping it up to be more than just like a synth pop record. Like... I don't know. I, I've read a bunch of reviews and... Uh, well, maybe they're hyping it up because it sounds like more than a synth pop record. I don't think it does, though. Like, what makes this totally different than, like, Washed Out or something like that? This is... I think this is way more complex than what Washed Out does. Nice. Now, I, I feel like she's got a lot more going on and a lot of different... Like, all of Washed Out songs are, like, the same, like, tempo. I think, you know? I think way more complex should be confused with way more better because it's not way more better. But it's, like... The difference between the tracks is way more noticeable than on something like Washed Out. She's got a very, loads of different styles all over this, I think. Really? Yeah. I, 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 have, think... a question. I have a question about Grimes, if, if it's allowed. Um, how, how do you guys judge talent with music like this? Um, uh, enjoy it. Uh, what's, your, what's your criteria for, for like, kind of... What do you mean by talent, though? Well, I saw her like, live, and I've always had problems with, like, laptop pre-programmed and then the way the way you sing is not the way I hear you which is fine I understand you use effects to get a certain um in in goal but what I've always struggled with and this is why it's not in my wheelhouse to review it um I can tell you my personal opinion on it which is I I can't really connect to this Grimes record but I would never go oh you like Grimes you're fucking stupid um but what, what are the things that I always question about this kind of music is how do you like I really like the Bass record right and I really yeah, enjoy this live show. That one's incredible. But I really don't, I can't articulate how to define talent. Like, when you hear a vocalist stripped of any effects, you can go, okay, this person's hitting these notes and has this certain personality. Oh, um, what criteria do you use to define talent within this genre? That's a question that I, maybe you guys, since you're into this record, could answer for me. Well, I think talent might be... Um, I don't know, like, I understand what you mean by it, but I don't know if it's exactly the right word. Like, for me, you know, I think Bath is pretty different from this artist, but I understand, like, the connection, sort of a, mm-hmm. a, a, a almost like a singer-songwriter version of electronic music. And, um, but for me, just the, the, 
why Bath is so good is because it's emotionally affecting, and and you know the melodies are. I mean, I don't know. It's weird because Bath is kind of a beat maker, and I think he's a really good producer. But in terms of like his vocals, um, which are yeah. hev- hev- heavily laid out with effects, but for some reason I can connect to that. With Grimes, I really struggle. I mean, like, I, I, my, my snippy Twitter thing was that it sounds like a toddler singing over Blue Man Group beats. Yeah, I mean, if it if it emotionally connects with you or it doesn't, that's kind of what it, what it all depends on, I guess. You yeah. know? So is that is that your defining criteria for whether Grimes is good in that in that genre or not, or is there anything else for you four guys? Well, the thing I keep getting hung up on is it, it really does sound like a bedroom musician type of record and I don't, I don't know if I agree with that I, I don't think it sounds like that much else that could be defined as a bedroom record like, well, I, I understand that it was like a bedroom record kind of supposed no, to be I think it sounds uh, like more I don't want to like hammer home that, that point because I'm not super I don't st- feel super convicted about my opinion that it's a bedroom record but I'm, I'm just interested in see getting to the bottom of like why everybody you know, it's really connected with this record over other kind of synthy pop records. So, like, do you, do you, would you, like, a lot of people call this album sort of like left field pop record. I mean, would you say that's, like, spot on, Rob? Yeah, I would say that's spot on. Like, I feel like this is what pop music should be. This is what should be on the radio. Whoa, yeah, a, whoa, a the, whoa, whoa. A lot of the reviews I read, like, keeps talking about how weird the music is. And I don't think it's weird at all. Yeah, I, mean, I really it, don't hear it. In the scope of, no, like... Because really- you guys you guys are seeing it in, like, a... a as a bedroom... As, a like, a an indie record. I'm, I'm not seeing it, it as that. I'm seeing it as an album. If you're seeing it as a pop record, it's weird. Because if you put it in... The, if you define it in those terms, I think it... it I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying. But well, John Claude Veneer, he calls this shit pop, and it's definitely not. It's experimental. But I think genres are misleading. But I'm gonna kind of talk about an album that hasn't come out yet. But or I can even talk about her last album, Ju- uh, Julia Holter. To me, is like what when people talk about Grimes, like it's what Julia Holter sounds like. It's like this pop infused ambient music, like really ambient um, infected. And sort of experimental, and you hear that like really obviously in the way that she writes her music, and uh, go you know goes from one place to another. Where where this to me is just pop music. It just you know it's like a, a chorus, vocals. You know, I I don't really even find anything too left field about the synths or anything. Like I mean, it it sounds a lot like a lot of stuff that's coming out. Like, yeah. Uh, the the Austria album from last year is very right. similar, I think. Yeah, and I I feel like the Austria album has even more of an identity, like yeah, than this does. I don't know. Like a lot of people have been throwing around these weird sort of buzzwords to, um, and this isn't this isn't her fault. It's just kind of like the critical side of it. It's like people are throwing around like K-pop and post-internet, and like you're seeing these weird sort. Okay, of- can we talk about that? Because I read that as well. What the fuck could post-internet possibly be? It means that they grew up. Like, they don't remember a time when there wasn't the internet. Like, they're that young. That's what I think. Oh, see, that's a great explanation. <laughs> yeah. But she's but she's 88, so that's not true. But uh, what they're uh, saying is that they're making music for people who don't remember a time without the internet. Well, I guess it goes beyond that, where, yeah. where you grow up in a time where everything is available to you, or she or anyone who's, you know, quote-unquote post-internet grows up in an era where you can listen to 
anything, any era of music, any right now, you know, 50s, whatever, every single genre, and, like, all that is kind of, you know, thrown into a blender, and then, in, and that's post-internet, I guess, but I don't hear that in her music at all, like, it's... See, that, that to me would be, like, a criticism to call something post-internet, because basically the problem with the post-internet is, yes, everything's available and you can experience every genre, but then that, that means, and you see it with a lot of young writers... Everybody has a thin understanding of every genre rather than rooted really, right. really strongly in one specific or a couple specific genres. Right. That's fair. I, I have a question about her, and it's something that I haven't seen like anybody talking about. It's like how much of her popularity stems from her image? Because like just as much as a lot of pop stars, even like I don't want to drop the dreaded Lana Del Rey, but it seems like her image is just as like carefully constructed as anybody else but it's like pushing toward the weirdness side of it rather than trying to be pop or anything well i feel like i think in a sense you're right but i feel like she's like where dan lana del rey sort of has a a marketing team behind her i feel like she's a little bit more uh you know she controls her own image but i I think she definitely does sort of i mean I mean, look at her. Like, she has very specific, yeah. like, kind of weirdo, you know, out there kind of, like, vibe that she's trying to put out there. And um, I don't know. It's like, how do you, how can you draw the line between, you know, authentic or inauthentic if someone is sort of, I mean, if you read interviews with her, she's not at all, like, you know, carefully, her image is not at all carefully guarded or anything. She's very straightforward with, like, oh, she wants to be a pop star, but. Maybe her image is post internet as well i mean she doesn't have to she doesn't have to dress like everyone else around her town dresses she can get ideas off the internet like she can see every kind of culture she combines it in the way she wants the same way she does with her music i mean yeah i she i mean at one point i saw a picture of her and she looked like she could be in a star wars movie essentially like she she still does yeah Yeah. (laughs) and all of this is just fueling why she's a pop she should be a pop star i don't think there's anything the artist I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that's sort of ballsy to, you know, do that. But at the same time, none of that, like, and if you read a lot of reviews, people talk about that as if it informs the music, but I really don't hear it in the music. I really just hear, like, if she, if her image was taken away, like Colin was saying, no one's really talked about this, if her image was taken away, you you just hear, like, bedroom musician with a very strikingly high voice, I guess. Yeah, I, I agree with Will uh, about that. Like, I don't, I don't think that her image is planned. I just think that she's looking hip, and you know the way she wants to look. And also, she's Canadian, and they're kind of ahead of us fashion-wise as far as looking weird. Like, we do rip them off a lot. Uh, at least hipsters do. Um, but I remember CMJ. I saw her at CMJ, and I had no idea who she was. But everyone was like, "You have to see Grimes. You have to see Grimes." And all the people telling me to see Grimes had never seen Grimes or heard their, her music. Right? They're like, "It's a really pretty girl playing laptop music," which to me was like, "I gotta get the fuck out of here." Um, <laughs> but there was a huge like the crowd was very hip. Um, so I, I, it, unlike Lana Del Rey, which I don't want to talk about because as we had learned from the last podcast, uh, we'll go on forever. But I, I think her image is not manufactured. You know, she's young, she's being hip. Um, like, her haircut is really bizarre to me, but that seems to be, like, I guess a thing now. Like, where it's half-shaven or whatever around her head. Yeah. She's a living, breathing Tumblr blog is basically what this comes down <laughs> yeah. to. I, I like that description. I'll, I'll defend... Pinterest. I'll, I'll defend that all day, though. Pinterest. Like, I don't know. But I, I, that's not any problem I have with her. I mean, she right. definitely... 
you know, if you put a really good looking girl in a band, they're going to get attention. Um, but the music still has to be there. And a lot of people are connecting to her music. So I think the music's good. Like, don't get me wrong. I, I like this album. I listen to it a lot. Um, but it's still to me sort of the, the, that time of the year or not the time of the year, just like the synth pop record of the week. I mean, that sounds sort of dismissive, but I mean, it's, I guess it's better than that, but I guess this is just a conversation to be resumed at the end of the year. Yeah, maybe. Like, to me, something like Chairlift is just as adventurous as Grimes. I like the Chairlift record a lot, too. <laughs> um, wait, Rob, are you listening to anything else? We want, we have a bunch of things to talk uh, about. Yeah, I guess the other one I'm listening to is Damien Gerardo, which is really good. Secretly Canadian release. It's like his 10th or 11th album, but I think... I haven't... I honestly haven't heard any of his previous albums. I just heard this one, and I really like it. I don't know what else to say about it. That's why it wasn't my main one. Has anybody else listened to that? Nope. No. Moving on. <laughs> Dude, just just skip me this week. I haven't listened to anything other than Perfume Genius and Grimes, really. Do Terry Maltz. No, I haven't listened to Terry Maltz enough, man. Alright, whatever. You've got plenty to say about everything else, so it's good. Uh, Zach, what have you been listening to? Uh, I listened to a bunch of the releases this week, but the one I guess I'm here to talk about is the Lamb Chop record, Mr. M. What do you think about <laughs> I think if I gave scores, I'd give it a 10.0. Um, but I don't give scores. I, I, if you go to our site, uh, weedlistenfew.com, that's a plug. Um, I, I talk about what is an instant classic and why this one is an instant classic to me. Um, and what I like about the review, not not to toot my own horn, but I guess I am, um, is it's telling you why I like the record and also dealing with my own struggle of calling something an instant classic. So it accomplishes two things. It's super long. Um, we had a lot of clicks on it, and then we saw that a lot of the out clicks were like 45 seconds. So, like, I think a lot of people came to see the score, um, which we don't have, and then it kind of clicked away. Um, I read it. Thank you, Rob. I appreciate I read it. I it as well. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> just taking your time. Uh, Do you find any typos? There's probably a lot of typos, right? Yeah, I saw one. I think one or two. Okay. Well, we don't have, we don't really have an editor or anything. So, um, what was I about to say? All right, but this record is just it's not sexy like the Grimes record. It's not very now, um, but it's the best record of a 11 year career for Kurt Wagner, who is Lamb Chop. Um, and what's shocking about this record is I've always been a huge Lamb Chop fan, and a lot of people in the Tennessee he's from Nashville, in the Tennessee, Louisville, Kentucky, you know, Southern area like consider him like a, a alt country god. And it's shocking that a lot of people are like, "Oh, you like this thing called Lamb Chop? I'll check that out." I mean, you don't you don't hear that often when a person has eleven albums, right? Um, Rob, you didn't connect to it. I know we well, talked about it. it. You said, yeah, I didn't connect to it immediately, and then we talked about it. And you said go listen to it in the dark with headphones on, which I did, and yeah, that did help a lot. But since then, I've been listening to it more, and I don't think it's actually for me. It's not an album I'd want to do that again with. It's more of a Stroll in the Sun kind of record. I don't know. Yeah, it's just, it, it plays to, like, once again, I'd have to recap my whole article, but it plays to every one of my individual aesthetics, like when I'm looking for, for music. Uh, one, 
is a cross between 60, you know, like 50s, 60s lounge music. Yeah. Um, and what I would really recommend doing is listening to two of the first Nat King Cole records, not for the voice, but for the instrumentation. Uh, Penthouse Serenade, listen to the piano, and then listen to uh, Nat King Cole sings for uh, Two in Love, listen to the orchestration. And what he did is he pretty much took those two things, married them, and then brought in his all-country folk roots and smashed them together. And it's not at all obtrusive, which is, like, insane. Like, you would think if you put those things together, it would be very jarring. And instead, it's something you've never heard before, which I talk about in an instant classic. You kind of have to, like, Kid A, there was no record that sounded like Kid A before Kid A came out. You can't name a record. At least I can't. Can anybody? Uh, not exactly, but uh, Noi sounds like Kid no, A No, a little bit, but, I mean, it's it's much more wasteland than Noi, in my yeah, opinion. no, it's much more 2000... It's apocalyptic. I mean, that's the word every reviewer uses because yeah. it's the correct one to use, I think. But I know what you um, mean. But, I mean, this is a guy who, he's been going since, uh, I think, 85, but he had his, like, first cassette tape released in, like, two, uh, 1990, you know, 11 records. And what always held him back, in my opinion, is he had this kind of perverse humor about them, about him, um, that always kind of, like, his first, I think you guys will get a kick out of this, his first uh, studio, uh, his live album, his first live album is called, uh, like, Pets, Pet Sound Sucks. Um, <laughs> so he, like, has this thing, like, where he, like, shoots himself in the foot whenever people start getting onto him, but it's shot. I was shocked how little people on Twitter knew about him, and maybe it's just a sign of how old I'm getting, but uh, he, he's considered, like, up there with Dave Berman from uh, Silver Jews and Bonnie Prince Billy, and some consider him better or were more famous than those two uh, in those specific areas. But it, it to me, is the by far the record that should be occupying everybody's conversations this week, probably this year. And it's sad that it's not. Like, you know, Grimes dominated it as far as conversation goes. I also, I don't, yeah, it's weird because, like, I don't know this artist at all. Like, I'm guilty of that. Um, but I think this might be my favorite record of the year so far. Like, yeah, me too. It's so like you're saying that that late '50s, early '60s sound. I love, I love just even. I listen to a lot of music like that, sort of pop ballads with a lot of string arrangements, mm-hmm. and I I feel like it's even weirder than you described it. Like one song has like a sitar on it. Mm-hmm. There's, uh, there's just a lot of weird, it, like weird touches, but at the same time, it's really it's all very understated. Like the way you described it, you wouldn't even notice that unless you really paid close attention it's really great yeah exactly I, I i like to call it a comfortable album yeah like you can re- you can really sink in and it's it's easy to ignore if you're not focused and i think rob maybe that's one of the reasons why people can't connect on a first or second listen like yeah, if, if you're just true. putting it on to listen um it's a very comfortable record it's very uh slow moving it, it, it minds its own pace but there's things like that that line about the wine in the basement like there's just little things that are off about uh, Kurt Wagner that I love. He has kind of a sick sense of humor. And he twists things and he describes things in a way that I've never been said. It's a very literary album. Um, he's a great writer, just like the other two guys I mentioned, Will Oldham and, and Dave Berman. Um, but I just think it's, I, I hate to say important, but I think it's just a really, it's a very important record in his discography, which I think is being underrated a little bit. Uh, it's 11 albums. I would say probably seven or eight of them are fantastic. Um, and it happens to be his best work, which... After an eleven album career, the eleventh album is typically not even mentioned as someone's best work. Um, so I think this should be, and it is. It is kind of. Do you guys read a lot of blogs? Probably like it is being celebrated. 
Like yeah. it got best it got best new music. And if you read that review, you definitely don't think it's an eight point three. If you read that review, you think it's like, oh wow, this is a really important record. Um uh, I really like that review, by the way. But, uh, you know, I think it has a Metacritic score of, like, 80, which is a really high score. Um, I've only read two bad reviews. Everybody who listened to it either likes it or is kind of, you know, it was good. It's not great. Um, but it's just weird that it's it's so casual that people can just walk right that, I guess would be my point. But it, it plays to all of my sensibilities, and I know people who are more into, like, the chill wave or, like, whatever's new, they're not going to like this record. Colin or uh, Eric, did either one of you guys listen to it? I haven't heard it yet. It's in my iTunes, but I have yet to listen to it. Same here. I think that I think that's like the the consensus is like a lot of people are like, well, maybe I'll get around to it, <laughs> which is which is fine. I mean, like you gotta think like this week we we even forgot to mention Sleigh Bells, uh, which I guess this was this week. This week has been crazy, and for a record that you know, first off, I don't think the name's that great, Lamb Chop. Like a lot of people hear that and they think. Eric, you sent me the picture of the cartoon lamb chop hand puppet. You know, a lot of people just don't, you know, and then and I also think people are afraid of discographies, large discographies, because when you hear that this is somebody's eleventh album and you've never heard a, a single track, you got you you kind of in your head you gotta go, oh, I gotta spend time and go through the entire collection. You know, it's like a whole new task. And I, and I, he- I have a lot of friends who did that for Deerhoof, who have a lot of records and the Fiery Furnaces as well. Um, so I think that hurts them a little bit, but I. I I can't say anything else other than this is the perfect album. Well, not the perfect album. This is a 10.0. I guess it is a perfect album for me specifically, but I, I can see people going, oh, this is a nice 7 or 8, but I cannot see anybody saying this is a horrible album because there's something in there for everyone, in my opinion. Review on We Listen For You now. Go read it. It's long. and has typos. <laughs> and our review will be up. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go off on you guys because I guarantee it's going to be like a, let me guess, a 76. You'll have to wait and see. <laughs> I bet you that's close. Yeah. All right, go ahead. Why don't you tell him it's going to be up by the time it runs? No, I, I don't want to tell Zach. I want him to wait and click on it. He might not read it if I tell him what the score is. <laughs> um, Whatever. You'll hear from me on Twitter from my, my lawyer. <laughs> um. Uh. So... I've been listening to uh, a record by a band called Pop 1280 called The Horror. Um, and this, I don't know much about this band. Um, and it's kind of been this weird week where I've, I've gotten a lot of albums that you know was, weren't on my radar at all. And uh, just been like sort of really surprised by them, like the lamb chop that we were just talking about, but also this one. And it's sort of this kind of caveman noise rock, uh, like really bass heavy, um, riff heavy. I don't, I don't really have much, I don't have many reference points for this. It sort of sounds like part chimp to me. Um, but it's just, it's awesome. I, I, I love. The, the rock energy I love uh, um, the, I mean the drumming is amazing it has really rhythmic drumming that reminds me a little bit of uh, Snowman how Snowman approaches drums um, just uh, weird sort of weird del- vocal delivery like um, has anybody else listened to this? Colin I know you listen to it yeah yeah, yeah. I, it's just super heavy and awesome <laughs> uh the bass-driven stuff kind of reminds me a little bit of, like, even McCluskey. I don't know if you've yeah, heard yeah, them. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, yeah, it's totally, 
spot on. Um, it's on Sacred I've, Bones. Yeah, they're, they're I've listened to it as well. It, I'm oh yeah, what just, do you think? I've only listened to it once, but I'm I'm just not that into it. I don't know. I think it's another record where I have to sit down and concentrate on it to get into it. I don't know why, even though it seems like quite a simple record. I don't know. It's a bit too murky for me. It like was very immediate for me, and I'm and uh, this year hasn't been super immediate so far. And this and the Lamb Chop record both like hit me over the head right away, and that was really surprising. And um, yeah, I guess if not, if no one has really invested much time in it, I guess I'll just say go listen to it. It's really really cool. And shout out to Sacred Bones. They're kind of killing it right now this year. Um, looks to be a good year for them. Yeah, they're pretty awesome. What's the deal with their album cover template, though? I love that. I love that. <laughs> I don't know what I think. I mean, it's just weird. I mean, I, I imagine that if I had, like, physical copies of all these records, then they would look really good together, but, um, I don't it know. Reminds, I, it reminds me of, like, old Penguin books. I don't know. Do you guys have Penguin yeah, books? Yeah, I know they do can. look like Penguin books, yeah. I love when, uh, I love when labels do that, like, a consistent sort of artwork like that. Yeah. Who else does that? Does anybody else big do that? Inner, inner, lab, inner labels do it, you know, on, on vinyl. It's, it's rare on outer labels, you know? DFA. I also like bands who do it. Like, the Magnetic Fields kind of do it with the line yeah. of the strip down yeah. the side. Yeah. Um. Oh. <laughs> what's that? I don't know. Chaos in my room. It's been a weird day. You... I don't know what's going on. Do you live in a dorm? <laughs> yeah, I live in a dorm. Yeah, he <laughs> lives, like, 14 floors below Evan. I went and visited them. That's crazy. Um, yeah. Is it fourteen floors? How many floors is it? Uh, I don't. I think it. I think it's like eight floors. Yeah. Something yeah. like that. I don't know. So Rob's a liar. Oh I, shit. Basically, yeah. Because I, I, I was really invested into that fourteen floors, <laughs> and now it's eight. Um, so don't trust the lamb chop scores. Basically, the point of that. Oh man. The other record I've been listening to is uh, Ital's Hive Mind. Uh, which is, um, oh, what's the guy's name? I forget the guy's name, but he's, he's the guitarist singer for uh, Me and Me, who I love. There's sort of this weird noise, uh, tribally dance rock. I don't even know. It's just awesome music. But this is like a house, electronic record, house music record. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't think, no one else has listened to this yet, right? I've heard it. What do you think, man? It, it's pretty awesome. I, I like this guy too. I forget his name as well, but he's also in that um, uh, Sex Worker is the name of his yeah. other project, which is kind of in between his yeah, like exactly. Yami and is it Ital? I, I had no idea how to pronounce it. I think it's Ital. Ital. I think it's a play on Ital Disco. Uh, like Ital, like Ital music is like a thing. Do you? Do you? I was wondering that too. Do you think? It yeah, is? I, I think it is in, in in some way or another. It's Italo, isn't it? I mean, yeah, it's a disco. Ital. Yeah, but I, I think it's some sort of play on that from, from what I've gathered. But, I mean, uh, I could be completely wrong. There's some, I mean, the one reason why I thought that is because there's a little bit of the, like that in the sound, but not enough to be overt or anything. But anyway, it's like very, I mean, there's only uh, five tracks on this album. Three of them are like 10 minutes long. And they're, they're really different. Like he, I mean, this is his first full length album as Ital doing house music. Um, and he really, you know, ma- ha- has a sound, which is really hard to do, house music. I mean, and uh, 
like really kind of like live sounding electronic music without being you know something like blondes or or something like that um it's it's definitely more straight up almost deep house and um but there's a track where you know he takes like one two measure sample and just the whole time the whole 10 minutes he's like fucking with it just running it through all kinds of filters speeding it up like rewinding it you know you know what song i'm talking about colin Mm, i'm not sure uh it's so crazy to listen to uh first wave but it's pretty impressive but i it's another record i just want to say go check it out because uh it's definitely getting overlooked this week and it's it's pretty awesome colin what have you been listening to uh i have been listening to perfume genius's new album put your back into it you would never call me And uh, he's taken a lot of heat for that title. I actually um, saw an re- uh, interview with him where he said he wasn't expecting the title to be hated as much, but <laughs> I guess it has been that. Um, as I said, it's his, uh, well, it's his second album, and the last one, Learning, I liked a lot. It was kind of like these creaky, uh, upright piano ballads with uh, a couple other things, and he's uh, expanded on those other sounds which were um like no problem and gay angels from the last album had this uh i don't really know how to describe the keyboard sound i've i've seen i think it was you will that talked uh, about it on twitter saying that it was like the twin peaks theme yeah there's one there is uh kind of that weird angelo whatever that guy's name is that little synth that was definitely me he said that did you say that? <laughs> I definitely, I definitely wow. said that. Uh-oh. I feel like I said that. I feel like you just took credit for Rob. <laughs> Another reason why you can't trust the Lamb Chop score that's coming out. <laughs> it's gonna... Zach's just on here to rip our site apart. He's like, I refreshed Twitter over and over. I'm waiting for this review. It's at 9 o'clock, man. You pay for oh, okay. Never mind. Um, but anyway, yeah, the new album is really awesome. He expands past those creaky piano ballads and... Uh, even including some guitar on normal song and uh the lead single from it was actually just a hundred percent like uh that weird uh keyboard sound and vocals um the only thing that was a little weird about it at first listening to it is he he goes into this more indie rock direction on a couple of uh songs uh take me home and hood both uh and i think um in Phil's interview, it touched on that, saying that uh, the the label or somebody wanted him to write more singly sounding things, and those were the two songs that uh, that he came up with for that. And it's pretty obvious, and that. Um, but a, a great record overall. It's it's really short, and I think that that almost works in his favor. That like no track overstays its welcome, and that's about all I have to say about it. <laughs> um. Man, I've talked so much during this podcast. Uh, I, I love I love the honesty of the record. That's what I love. Well, I, my thing is, like, I love Learning to Death. It was, like, one of my favorite records of 2010. And uh, I almost think that... Um, I've been thinking a lot about this because I, I like this record, but there's something that... I just feel like the uh, the subject matter in his lyrics are, like, really... It's really kind of heavy shit. And... Uh, I feel like learning, the way he approached that stuff in learning was, like, more complementary to the lyrical part, you know? Like, it was, he had this sort of isolated, claustrophobic 
sort of sound, and he left in all the, like the human mistakes uh, of him playing um, the piano and stuff. And and this is very much like a polished in studio record. And I feel like because it's so polished and and very much accessible, it kind of loses its emotional punch. Yeah, he doesn't really change his emotional themes that much, you know. But I, I do think there is a difference, like lyrically, though, because the the first album was a lot more personal. It seemed like in the lyrics, like on um, like "Write to Your Brother," like just how specific those songs were, and it's almost like he got broader in the themes on this album in in tandem with getting with expanding his musical vocabulary as well. Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly how I feel. I think I think. Like in the lyrically, he's grown in confidence, and being able and musically, he's grown in confidence like an equal amount. I think like they perfectly complement each other. And I never, I didn't get learning before I heard this record. I didn't like I couldn't get into it before. And now that I've heard this, I think I just I get learning now. <laughs> I, I'd say that the the main difference between the two of them is that learning is very inward focused, and um, yeah, uh, the new one while still like as you said, like, sad and, and heavy uh, is more outward-focused. Did, like, the first time you guys listened to it, did you, were you drawn to sort of the lyrical stuff, or were you more paying attention to the, the music? It was the atmospherics for me. Definitely got me the first time. Like, they're so, they're pretty subtle. I don't know, some songs, I guess it probably was lyrics, too. I don't know. I can't really remember. I've listened to it so many times, I can't remember the first time. Yeah. I... I think for me it was the lyrics because the uh, the music was pretty simple to get right away. I did just that's add, just his thing though is that it's simple. Oh, I'm not saying that's that's a criticism. I'm just saying that 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 allows you to focus on the lyrics. Yeah. Oh, that um, makes sense then. And and not be like you know, on uh, certain certain records you if there's a lot of things going on, a lot of sounds, it's hard to focus in on the. Uh, uh, we're talking about first listens, correct? Yeah. 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 So, like, on first listen, this is one of the few records that you can really just listen to what he's saying. I think what he's saying is more important than the music, anyway. I guess more in- more interesting, not more important. I guess that's, that's kind of that. That's what got me interested in the album as well. Because, like, I, I didn't really know much about it. I didn't listen to his last album. And Phil's Phil, who I think wrote our review, right, or at least did yeah. a really awesome interview yeah. with him. Um, yeah, he started talking about the content of the album. And that's what got me a lot more than the music. Because, yeah, I mean, the music's good, but it's not the most interesting or unique yeah. or groundbreaking thing in the world. But, you know, his content and his honesty is what makes the album great. Is, is that your highest scored album on the site so far? It's yeah, an 80, this, 89, this, right? This year, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. Not, not, not in a bad way. I'm just saying that's interesting. We really love it. Yeah, yeah it's, I mean, it's definitely my favorite of the year so far. My favorite's coming up a couple weeks. <laughs> Lamb, yeah, Lamb Chop, right, Rob? Oh, yeah. yeah well, give us, a, give us a breaking thing to spice up the podcast, Rob. What's, what's, your, what's your favorite album of the year? Uh, the one that's coming up is The yeah. Men. Oh, album. The Men record? Men. Yeah. I hate that you record. It? You've heard it? No, yeah. I haven't heard it yet. <laughs> but I hate it because you hate my record. I don't hate your that, record. That's, how, that's how political this world is. I think I'm going to buy the Lamb Chop record on vinyl because it's got an awesome cover and it'll sound good on vinyl and it'll help me get into it. Is it was Colin done, though? I, I don't want to shift away. Colin? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty much done. If, so, you made it to the, if you made it to the end of the podcast, you're going to tweet at us, uh, Hypnodrome. No, that's a stupid word. <laughs> what, then? I don't know. 
Hypnodrum is as good as anything. Alright, no, vaccinate. <laughs> vaccinate. Yeah. I don't know why that's so funny, but Alright, vaccinate, there you go. She made it to the end of the podcast. Bye. 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 Grimes. Yeah. <laughs>